Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed and Alex are continuing to talk about the 2021 NFL Draft. On today's show, we're going to look at this tight end class. But at the top of the show... We would like to bring in a guest. We would like to welcome Kerry Angeline to the show. He's a tight end from NC State and this year's NFL draft prospect. Kerry, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Right off the bat, has the NFL always been a dream of yours since you were a kid? And when did it become a reality? Yeah, definitely. I'd say growing up, kind of just football has always been a, a big part of my life. Uh, kind of just runs in the family a little bit. Always been paying attention to the NFL since I was, I was a young kid, so it's kind of always been my dream. And uh, I kind of say just become a reality, kind of just over over my college career, kind of just you know developing and uh, kind of just it's, it's definitely real cool to be here and kind of just becoming a reality now. Your pro day is going to take place on March 30th. It's less than a week away. Tell us about your preparation for that pro day. Are you are you ready to kill it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for the past about two and a half months, I've been down in Miami training at uh, Bomberitos facility down there. So kind of just trying to trying to improve on all my numbers, kind of just become the best player I can be. What's going to be your best event, Kerry? Is it going to be the vert? The, the broad jump, the 40 time, where are you going to surprise people? I'd say probably my vert or my agility. I'd say those are probably my strengths right now. Was basketball your first love growing up? And how do those skills translate to the gridiron? Yeah, I mean, growing up, I also loved basketball a lot. You know, kind of always either wanted to be an NFL or NBA player and kind of uh, I played basketball all throughout throughout middle school, high school, and uh, I, was, I was kind of lucky enough to get recruited in basketball, too. Definitely noticed kind of just the skills translating over from the basketball court to the football field a lot, even even just playing the tight end position. A lot of those skills are transferable. So definitely playing basketball has definitely helped me out a lot on the football field, too. Were you always the biggest guy on the basketball team? Did you play center? Yeah, uh, I've always kind of been the tallest kid. And then uh, in high school, uh, I'd say my freshman year of high school, I played mostly center. And then kind of sophomore, junior year, I kind of played a little bit more of a forward wing type. Who recruited you, Gary, as far as basketball is concerned? Yeah, I was hearing from uh, Davidson and Monmouth and uh, kind of just schools of of mid-major level. We know that you were born and raised on the East Coast uh, in Pennsylvania, how does a guy from Pennsylvania wind up all the way on the West Coast with the Trojans? Tell us that story. Yeah, so uh, just coming out of high school, I had some good opportunities and good offers from, from different schools, and I was kind of just lucky enough. Uh, my dad took me on a bunch of college visits all over the country, and uh, just growing up, I was kind of always a big USC fan ever since the, the Reggie Bush and Matt Liner days. So kind of just, it was always a dream of mine to go to USC and kind of just took a visit out there and felt like it would be a great opportunity. And so uh, that was kind of the main reason I went out there. Were you looking strictly at the West Coast schools? Who else was was out there besides USC? If it wasn't the Trojans, what other schools were you strongly considering? A couple other schools I was kind of looking at heavily would be uh, 
Ohio State and Florida, uh, Penn State I was looking at too, and uh, Notre Dame. Those are kind of the, the schools I was kind of considering the strongest. Why did you end up deciding to leave USC? Yeah, so uh, I was out there about a year and a half and uh, kind of just felt like it would be just be in my best interest for my football career and my futures to, just to transfer elsewhere. But, uh, you know, definitely definitely USC was a great experience, just kind of getting exposure to, to a whole new a whole new side of football, even just going out to the West Coast and kind of just getting that experience. It was definitely, it was definitely good for me. Tell us, how did NC State come into the picture? Why did you decide to transfer there? Yeah, so uh, coming in high school, I had a previous relationship with uh, Coach Doran and, and the position coach that was there uh, in high school, and he was also there after I transferred. So kind of just having that, that familiarity and relationship in high school. And then uh, once I announced I, I would be transferring, they were one of the first schools to reach out to me and uh, kind of just took a visit down here. Felt like it would be be a good opportunity for me to kind of just step in and play right away. And so uh, kind of just the familiarity and just the opportunity was kind of the main reason I came here at NC State. You earned the Gary Rowe Award as the team's top receiver. What does that award mean to you? Yeah, it definitely means a lot. Kind of just getting the respect from my teammates and coaches and uh, definitely just try to try to go out there each game just try to help the team whatever they need and kind of just getting out of the ward is definitely it's definitely cool so definitely good honor how has your older brother riley influenced your playing career yeah definitely he's helped me out a lot kind of just uh just with toughness and kind of just seeing him go through the whole thing because he played he played at university of delaware he played football there and so kind of he helped me out a lot kind of just through my whole career him being two years older than me and uh, a lot of times I'll be playing up with him or kind of just up in general and uh, he definitely he's definitely helped me out a lot throughout my whole athletic career. Gary you spent three years at NC State playing in the ACC who was the toughest matchup for the Wolfpack? Probably each year we we didn't play them last year but Clemson you know they're always Always one of the best teams in the country, so kind of just matching up with them each year, uh, you know, always a good opportunity. But they're, they're obviously one of the best teams in the country year in and, and year out, so I'd probably say that was our toughest opponent. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, but what made Brent Venable's defense so tough? I think uh, they always play hard. They always have, have real good players, and it seems like they're always prepared no matter what. You know, they have they have a great scheme there, and uh, definitely just just kind of have the right guys and the right system. What do you think is the key to being a good tight end? I think kind of nowadays is just being versatile, you know, being able to to be able to, to run block and pass block, but also, you know, be a threat in the receiving game. I think that's kind of how the tight ends developed in the past, you know, however, 10 years or whatever, kind of just being able, being able to do a lot of different things. Who do you model your game after, Kerry? When you look at the NFL tight ends right now, uh, there are a lot of good ones. Who do you like to watch film on? Who do you like to model your game after? Yeah, I mean, always, always trying to watch the great tight ends like like Kelsey and Gronkowski, even Jimmy Graham. Growing up, always try to watch them. And then uh, I've heard some, I've been hearing some comparisons over the past year or so between uh, kind of my game and Jack Doyle. So Jack Doyle is the one that I've kind of been watching a lot over the past year or two. 
And then uh, also Tyler Croft, who just signed with the Jets. He actually went to my high school. And so growing up, I was always able to watch him in high school when I was when I was in middle school coming up. So I always, always try to model my game after him a little bit, too. You're a sports management major. Um, do you want to go into coaching when your football career is over? Yeah, possibly. Uh, I haven't I haven't really made a final decision on that, but definitely like to like to keep that door open. Yeah. Carrie, good luck with your pro day, and thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right, we want to thank Carrie Angeline for being with us and for telling his story, and we wish him all the best at his pro day. Let's continue the tight end talk, and I'm gonna bring in Ed, who is gonna reveal his top ten. There's A lot of interesting prospects in this draft. Uh, Some guys have speed. Some guys have size. Some guys seem to be the complete package. So let's start with number 10, Ed. Well, I got uh, Kylan Granson, uh, tight end from SMU. He's uh, number two in receiving for the Mustangs. He's a senior, productive all four years. Um, He's 6'3", 235 pounds. That's a little short for a tight end. You know, as a tight end, it's kind of undersized. Uh, Decent pass blocker, average foot speed. Um, I like the way he finishes his run blocks. The reason why I'm a little concerned about his game is that uh, he wasn't getting separation in the pass game, and I think he needs to engage better in blocking when uh, he's slot out wide. He's going to have to make a move to H-back. He's going to have to make a move to fullback just because he's a 6'2 guy. I mean, let's be honest there. But he gives you some versatility. I just hope he develops and and becomes a, a better blocker at the next level because if he doesn't, you won't make the roster. Number nine, I got Quentin Morris, uh, tight end from Bowling Green. Um, he's a leading receiver for Bowling Green. Um, he didn't play many games in 2020. Um, he's 6'4", 251 pounds, uh, productive value four years at Bowling Green. He, he understands how to fake a block and go out for a pass. He kind of understands that that sort of motion play where you know he makes it look like he's about to block the guy and then he kind of goes out for a pass and maybe tries to get a get a get over the defense. He has some trouble getting separation. Uh, I don't think it's because of his foot speed. I do think he has some potential with his body control as a route runner. Um, He does cut well as a route runner. Well, he was at the Senior Bowl. There's some people that really like him. They just feel like he's got a lot of potential. He played a bowling green, and uh, he's got a large catching radius and huge hands. He could be a quarterback's best friend in the NFL. So number nine, I got uh, Nick Eubanks. Tight end from Michigan. He's 6'5", 256 pounds. He's a redshirt senior. Uh, he's got four years of production. You know, his poor quarterback play, limited production. Um, three-star recruit out of high school. I like his quickness as a route runner. Um, needs to engage better one blocking. Um, I think he's a decent run blocker on the move. He's a very good downfield blocker. But I, I, I actually, in the Michigan uh, offense, I didn't see him inline block a lot. Uh, number seven, I got Josh Peterson, uh, tight end from Louisiana Monroe. Smaller school guy. Uh, he's a senior, 6'5", 235 pounds, four years of production. He's a little raw. Two-star recruit out of high school. Needs better awareness when run blocking. I think he's a good yards after catch guy. Um, I think he's a smart route runner as a tight end. He's got six foot five height, um, decent speed. Yeah, Josh Peterson is an interesting guy because he wanted to transfer to a different school. And then he decided to enter the NFL draft. Doug Peterson is his dad, by the way. Yeah, he has those NFL bloodlines. And from I interviewed him in the summer, and he was a quarterback in high school. He made that switch to tight end, and 
like his dad. His dad played quarterback, obviously, in the NFL. He was a quarterback in high school. Then he made the switch to kind of wide receiver, tight end. So he's got those NFL bloodlines, and uh, I, I like him as a route runner. And he can definitely help a, a football team with his pass catching. Uh, the thing that he does best is uses his speed. He's got good route running, and he can catch the ball. So number six, I got kind of an interesting name. It's Matt Bushman, uh, tight end from BYU. He's 6'5", 240 pounds. Uh, he's a senior. Uh, three years of production. He ruptured his Achilles preseason of 2020. He's a three-star recruit out of high school. Um, he's 25 years old. My guess is probably one of the reasons why he's the age he is is because he went on a Mormon mission, uh, being a BYU guy. Um, he's got good character, has his own foundation, has connected with NFL players to you know, sort of leverage charity dollars. Um, he's already married. I think he was one of the top tight ends in the country before his injury. He lined up as a split end a lot. Uh, he has good hands, average blocker. Um, I guess he does need to move his feet better when pass blocking. He flashes very good technique as a run blocker at times. Uh, his inline blocking is better than blocking in space. You know, Bushman is not a complete tight end, another receiving tight end. And he was the, the favorite target for Zach Wilson, uh, freshman and sophomore year, when Bushman was a sophomore and a junior. You're absolutely right. He went on a Mormon mission. So he's a much older prospect, and that's going to knock him down as well. You would much rather draft a guy who's like 20 or 21 instead of a 25-year-old grown man. But Bushman is kind of the forgotten man. But people have forgotten about him completely. You know, he's a guy that you should definitely keep an eye on on day three if if you're looking for a pass-receiving tight end. So number five, I got Tony Poljohn. He's a tight end from uh, University of Virginia. 411 receiving yards for the Cavaliers. Um, it puts him fourth on the um, year on receiving. Uh, he's got six touchdown catches, which pushes him at the top of the Cavaliers. He's a senior. He's 6'7", 265 pounds. He's a transfer from Central Michigan. Um, he's also another quarterback to tight end conversion. I think what he does well on tape is he uses his height advantage well to beat who's covering. Um, he's a surprisingly good blocker for how raw he is. You know, he's kind of one of those tall projects. Um, you know, he's not afraid to block when he's kind of split out. You know, he's playing that split end. Uh, very simple route runner. Um, very competent as a pass blocker. I just don't know where you use him. Like, I'm not sure about his speed. I'm not sure about the way he moves just because he's a bigger guy. And he, like you mentioned, I mean, he's making the switch from quarterback to tight end. He's still rough around the edges. And I think the only way that you can use him, especially like in the first year or second year, is kind of just use his height in the red zone. Just throw him the ball and he'll go and get it because he's got, you know, long arms. He's got large hands. That that's the only use that I see from him. I don't think he's a guy that's that's gonna threaten you down the seam. He just doesn't seem to have that quickness or speed to me. So to me, Poljan is one of the more overrated guys in this tight end class. Number four, I got Hunter Long, uh, tight end from Boston College. He's the second leading receiver for the Eagles, productive tight end, uh, probably a two year starter for the Eagles. He's six five, two hundred and fifty three pounds. Uh, played some special teams. Um, really only has three years of play under his belt. He's third team all ACC in 2019. I like the quickness that he gets off the line of scrimmage as a tight end. I like his toughness. 
in the North Carolina game. Needs to sharpen his route running, but is still an average route runner. Has no trouble getting off the line of scrimmage. He has good hands as a receiver. And I like his hand use when blocking, despite being more of a receiving tight end. But I want to ask you this. I mean, I like Hunter Long. Like, I root for guys like this. But can he get separation at the next level? He can find space or against zone coverage. I mean, he seems to be adept at that. But can he beat man coverage? Can he go against those linebackers or safety and, and be a threat in the receiving game? I'm not sure. I just I don't see that on film. He's making a lot of contested catches in college. That means in the NFL, he's just he's not going to be open. So again, I like Hunter Long. Like he was he was one of my one of my darlings like throughout the season. He goes to Boston College. I love those guys, but I just don't think he's going to be able to create separation. What do you think? I I actually do. I I think he's kind of a little bit raw and underrated. I, I think he's the type of guy, he's got that, like, quickness off the line. You know, that, that kind of quickness is, like, what they kind of look for in these tight ends, you know what I'm saying? Kind of to be that receiving type. Uh, number three, I got Brevin Jordan, a uh, tight end from Miami. He's a true junior. 6'3", 245 pounds, three years of production. First team All-ACC, four-star recruit out of high school. Um, he's a decent receiving tight end, decent route runner, um, maybe needs to sharpen his routes a bit. Decent lead blocker, uh, average speed for his routes, and I think he has decent hands. He just kind of does everything pretty well. <laughs> That's kind of how I see Brevin Jordan. He's on the shorter side because, I mean, he's about like 6'2 and a half, 6'3. So he's more of an age back as well. He's got quickness. He's got speed. And he's a threat in the receiving game. I just, I question his effort as a blocker and... He he's not much of a blocker. He just doesn't offer you that. But again, Jordan is also my top three guy in this tight end class. So I'm just being picky. He's always had injuries, always had some durability concerns, and that kind of scares me a bit. But whenever he was on the field this year, De'Ara King was always looking. Uh, he was always looking in his direction. Like Brevin Jordan was his favorite target when they needed a play on third down. If De'Ara King wasn't doing it with his feet, he was looking for Jordan in the middle of the field. And this guy can, he can take a short pass and get yards after the catch. He, he can be successful in the intermediate area. He can also take and, and be a deep threat as well. So you like to see that. He's a threat on all three levels. But again, a pass catcher, um, hopefully he can stay healthy at the next level because I think the upside is definitely there for him. So number two, I got uh, Pat Fryermuth, uh, tight end from Penn State. And I mean, this is another tier. I mean, I would say this is kind of a top-heavy uh, tight end class. And I really think Fryermuth is probably the most complete tight end. Um, he's a true junior, 6'5", 258 pounds, three years of production. Uh, had a season-ending injury in 2020, which is probably his biggest concern. Um Four-star recruit out of high school, good inline blocking tight end, has very good blocking technique, good pass blocker, very good in and out of his breaks as a route runner, and he's good hands as a receiving tight end. I think if he passes those injury protocols, I really think he he, he could be a nice first-round pick. You would take him in the first round? If he, if, if, if he checks out from a health standpoint, I mean, if, he, if, if it's like it looks like he's going to make a full recovery by the start of the season, yeah, I, I really would. I think he's going to be a steal somewhere at the, at the top of the second round. Like for a team maybe like Jacksonville. 
for a team maybe like the Atlanta Falcons or maybe like the New York Jets. I think this guy could be a very valuable pick. He could be a steal for some team. I don't think he's going to go in the first round. He would have if he would have stayed healthy. Is he baby Gronk to you? A lot of people have compared him to uh, Gronkowski. There's some similarities to his game. What do you think? I don't. I don't like that comparison. I mean, I I think of Gronk as kind of different. Um, I mean, I, I kind of think like, I mean, part of Gronk is kind of like the freak athlete, whereas I think uh, Frymuth just kind of shows it from a technique standpoint. You know, I, I do see some similarities with Gronk, and I think the biggest one is. Gronkowski also had some uh, some injury concerns. He had like a back injury. He would have been a first round pick, but there were some concerns with his back when he was coming out and the Patriots obviously got a steal in the second round. So this kind of reminds me of that situation. They're kind of in a similar boat. Both guys would go higher. Yeah, he's going to be a steal for somebody in the second round. I'm a big fan of uh, Friar Muth. All right, I guess no surprise at number one. Yeah, I mean, everyone should know it's Kyle Pitts. I mean, um, this is an elite receiving tight end. I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, he's he's just a beast, you know, with the body size. He's 6'6", 246 pounds. He's got great body control. He's an elite receiving tight end. First team all SEC in 2019. Uh, He's a true junior, four-star recruit. Elite physicality in the way he runs his routes. Matchup nightmare in the receiving game. Great hands to make the catch in traffic. Very good route runner for a tight end and gets out of it, in and out of his breaks very well. I mean, this is a guy who I would take in the top ten. He might be the most sure thing in this draft. I mean, is there is there is there anyone else in this draft that you're more sure about being a good player? If we're not talking about quarterbacks, I think he should be the highest position player in this draft for a lot of teams. Quarterbacks always get pushed up just because you need one. But Kyle Pitts is the highest graded player, even ahead of some of these offensive tackles as well. Just the season that he had, the exclamation point that he put together as a junior, he came with the mission and finally put together a a fantastic junior year. I mean, Kyle Trask, all he had to do was kind of throw the ball up in the air and Pitts was going to come down with it. He ran a 4-4-6 during his training. 4-4-6. Even if he runs somewhere in the low four or fives, he's going to be like a mismatch nightmare. The highest 40 time that I think I saw in all my time was the Maryland tight end, Vernon Davis. And he was a freak. He had the speed. He had the athleticism. And Kyle Pitts reminds me of that. He's a freak. The only thing that separates him, it's not only about potential. Pitts already has great tape. Nobody could cover him. In the best conference in the SEC, you can line them up out wide. You can line them up in the backfield. You can line them up in line. Nobody could do anything. He's too fast for linebackers, and he's too physical for safeties. And it's going to continue at the next level as well. He is a freak with a huge catching radius, with large hands, and he can jump out of the gym. It's almost like a a Randy Moss or a Calvin Johnson in in a way that he elevates and and gets the ball at the highest point. It's unfair to label him only as a tight end. Let's just say this. He's kind of a, he's going to be an X factor for some offense because nobody is going to be able to cover him. I remember when Evan Ingram came out and that was all about potential. Like, the word was potential, and when he ran a 4-4-2 at the Combine, people were excited, and they drafted him in the first round. The Giants did. He hasn't lived up to that billing. Well, Pitts, 
He's about like 15, 20 pounds heavier than Evan Ingram. And again, it's not only about the athleticism and potential. Look at the film. Junior year, he absolutely demolished everybody that he went up against. And it's just, I, I wish Florida would throw him the ball almost every time. Obviously, he couldn't do that. They tried to double team him. Some teams even tried to triple team him. And still, he, he was able to get open. When you see that in the SEC, if this guy stays healthy, he's going to be a huge nightmare matchup for some team. Take him a lot sooner. If the Bengals are there and the Panay Sewell is off the board, take Pitts. Because that would make... Joe Burrow a lot more dangerous. If you're the Eagles, don't take a wide receiver. Take a tight end, especially with Zach Ertz moving on, and he could make a, a nice one-two punch with Dallas Goddard. I just think Kyle Pitts is just out of this world. It seems like he's a good kid. He's got his head on straight. This guy wants to be great. We, we haven't seen a Kyle Pitts in a long, long, long time. I would say he's the best offensive player in this draft, just period, outside of quarterbacks. I wouldn't have a problem taking him in the top five. Just a lot of people are pushing wide receivers. Why not push Kyle Pitts into that top five category? We've never seen a tight end this athletically gifted uh, with really good tape in the best conference in college football. Uh, There was one name missing, Ed. Uh, It's Tommy Tremble from Notre Dame. Well, he's a young player. He was only a redshirt sophomore, but he was the best blocking tight end in college football. Um, obviously still raw as a receiver, and I would assume that's the reason why he's not in your top 10. I don't know. It's just I, I expected Tommy Tremble to be a lot better. And, um, you know, when I kind of watched the tape, it, it was kind of like he wasn't really doing anything that well. He flashes as a blocker. Like, I, I will say that about Tommy Tremble. Like, sometimes there's certain plays where you're like, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a great play. But, like, I expected this guy to be, like, a really good blocker from his reputation. And it was just there were some plays where I was like, nothing special. You know, I, I mean, I could, I could reconsider and put him in my top 10 for sure. You know, I wouldn't put him in the overrated category, but I don't want to say he's, uh, you know, as good as advertised as some people are saying. Right now, you're only talking about his blocking. He has got ways to go as a receiver. And he's a bigger receiver. He also has some athleticism to him, but Notre Dame didn't use him in that pass-catching department. They used a freshman who was their go-to guy at tight end. How about most overrated tight end in this draft I actually class? have uh, Quentin Morris. I know I have him in my top 10, but, I mean, there aren't a lot of tight ends. There aren't a lot of tight ends, in, you know, just in general. How about underrated? I, I actually like this guy, Paul John. I, I just I see some raw skills in him, and I see, I see that height, and I feel like if, you know, a good offensive coordinator and a good tight end coach can really make him a good tight end. All right, how about sleepers? I mean, we always like to talk about sleepers, guys that are going to be drafted maybe on the in the last round or maybe go undrafted. Who, who is that Josh guy? Josh Peterson, the guy from Louisiana Monroe. You know, probably, I mean, I, th- I think because he's a smaller school guy, he probably will be a day three guy. But um, again, you know, some potential I see in him. I want to mention a couple of sleepers for me. I, I like this guy, Briley Moore from Kansas State, transferred from Northern Iowa. Played senior year in the Big 12. Not a great route runner. I think he's kind of above average in that regard. But he's got good hands, and he gets yards after the catch. 
and uh, he gives good effort as a blocker. So as a number two tight end, I can see Briley Moore sticking around. Uh, I think that's a possibility. Uh, so Briley Moore is one of them. Uh, the guy that we just interviewed, Ed, Kerry Angeline. I mean, you talk about Poljan, but Angeline is kind of a similar guy. Like, he's a bigger guy, taller guy with huge arms, a large catching radius. He could be a dangerous red zone option for an NFL team as a number two tight end because he was doing that in college. I mean, NC State was looking in his direction once they, they got in the red zone. And another guy, I mean, if we're talking about blocking tight ends, we talk about Tommy Tremble a little bit, Dylan Soner from Iowa State. I think he might be on par with Tommy Tremble as far as blocking tight end. These guys aren't sought after. Uh, because he's going to be like an undrafted free agent. I mean, he doesn't give you much uh, in terms of the receiving game. But this guy is a heck of a blocker. And so keep an eye on um, Iowa State Dylan Soner as, as a late-round option or as an undrafted free agent. He's got the size, and he sustains his blocks really well, whether it's in the run game or the pass game. And Iowa State Cyclones, they love those tight ends. A couple of them went back. Chase Allen, uh, Charlie Kohler, both guys went back, but Soner decided to um, submit his paperwork, and he's in there. So you like the the top two guys? I mean, you like Pitts, you like Fryermuth. You know, Kyle Pitts. I mean, I echo what you said about him. You know, being a a top guy. I mean, he's he he probably is the best tight end prospect that I've watched since I've been doing this. Fryermuth, I think, is one of the most complete tight ends. I mean, on tape, the injury is pretty much the concern. Uh, you know, Hunter Long, I think I think he has some athletic traits that make him, you know, an interesting name uh, from the tight end perspective. I think he has some traits that you, you can't teach and maybe even can't be measured in, you know, kind of a, um, a pro day environment. Yeah, I, I like Brevin Jordan. I think he has a pretty complete game. Um, he doesn't excel completely in any area, but I think he's, I think he's pretty complete. All right, next week we'll come back and we'll talk about the defensive linemen. In general, we'll talk about DNs and defensive tackles and how they fit into different schemes. Let's move on to the NFL and uh, the second week of free agency. The wide receivers finally started coming off the board and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, everybody thought that he was gone, including himself. He wrote a nice letter on, on Twitter saying that thanking fans and he expected to sign elsewhere. The Baltimore Ravens, the Kansas City Chiefs were interested. They were willing to give him a little more money with incentives. But he went back to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are you ecstatic? I, I am ecstatic. I mean, I think he's, you know, I think he's the number two. I think Claypool's the number one. So you got Claypool and Juju. Um, as your one-two combo, I mean, which is a very strong one-two combination, and then you got you know Deontay Johnson as your number three. So I, I I like I like where the Steelers stand from a receiver standpoint. I do have to mention this about Juju though. Um, I do think he's kind of playing chess a little bit by signing a one-year deal. I think what'll happen is is that I think you know sort of as the vaccine gets kind of rolled out in the U.S. and you know, kind of around the world in some places, you know, the, 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 the pandemic won't be gone by next year, but I think we'll be in a much better place. And I think we'll be in a much better place economically. That means the, you know, the, the salary cap is going to go up. I think, you know, Juju becoming a free agent in 2022 gives him an opportunity to really 
get paid. Um, I actually think I actually think this is a good chess move for him. I think he he becomes a free agent at a great time next year. Um, so I I mean you know he sends the Wolf of Wall Street thing and you know they say they need a wrecking ball to get him out of Pittsburgh. I think he's being loyal. I think he you know he turned down some offers. You know he turned down to play with Mahomes. He turned down to play with Lamar Jackson. So I give him I give him that kind of credit. I think he's playing chess, you know, because I think he's going to get paid a lot more as a free agent in 2022. The other thing is is that there is a there is a lingering, you know, knee injury for him and you know, he had to get a lot of treatment for that and although he played most of the year, um, you know, that that's an injury that you have to keep an eye on and I think maybe, you know, if he if he kind of rests it and proves that he has a great year um in 2020 21 then when in 2022, you know, his value as a receiver, especially being a number two, I mean, he's really succeeded as a number two. I mean, his best years were when Antonio Brown was the number one. And then, you know, I think Claypool takes over as the number one. I think this could be a really smart financial decision for Juju Smith-Schuster. Next year, when he's going to head into free agency 2022, he's still going to be 25 years old. So he's taking a calculated move here. He's betting on himself. He came back, he had a good year, not a great year, but he still caught 97 balls in Steelers' offense. And uh, a lot of people are kind of writing him off by saying, hey, it's somebody else's team, it's Claypool's team. But Juju is still going to be the main guy. He's still going to get the main targets because he lines up in the slot and he could do so many things out there. I just He goes back to an organization that he knows, uh, he's familiar with, and I mean, this guy was one of the youngest wide receivers when he was drafted. And once again, he's going to get a chance to get paid at 25 years old. So he's betting on himself. All right, let's continue with the wide receiver talk. Obviously, it's Juju is not the only wide receiver to sign. Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay waited patiently. There didn't seem to be a deal during the first week. But then the second week came and the Giants... Still gave him a lot of money. Is this a good move for the New York Giants? I, th- I think it's a great move for the New York Giants because now they got a one-two combo. They got Shepard and him. Um, you know, you got Shepard in the slot, Galladay on the outside, and uh, Galladay. I mean, he's got the size and speed. I mean, he's got all the reasons. I mean, he's been very productive the last three years. I, he, there's all reasons why he he's going to be an excellent number one wide receiver for the New York Giants. Let's just hope Daniel Jones finally takes a step forward. We saw glimpses of it when he was a rookie during his sophomore campaign. He struggled. A lot of it depends on the quarterback. Daniel Jones needs to take a huge step forward in order for Kenny Galladay to succeed in this offense. And obviously Saquon Barkley is going to be back from injury. The Giants had to make a splash. I mean, they had to find a number one wide receiver because they didn't have one in in this offense the last couple of years. It's not Shepard. It's not Golden Tate. You you needed to find a guy. And yeah, they overpaid for him. But uh, before his injury last year, Kenny Galladay became the number one target for the Detroit Lions. How about Will Fuller? Another receiver that signed a a one-year deal with the Miami Dolphins. And the Dolphins, they needed to add some more uh, speed 
to their receiver. Court. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is an excellent move for the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, he, he clearly becomes their number one. And I, I, I actually think the Miami Dolphins might want to add a number two, too. I don't know if they have enough weapons for uh, Tua Viola this year. So, you know, I, I think this was a good splash signing, good speed. Fuller has been a number two. Um, you know, he was a number two with... Uh, DeAndre Hopkins for a few years, you know, DeAndre Hopkins was kind of the number one and Will Fuller was the number two, but um, in a way he's been kind of overshadowed and he's really worthy of being a number one receiver in this league. So giving him that opportunity to be the number one, to kind of carry a receiving core, I think this is a great opportunity for Will Fuller. And, you know, he only signed a one-year deal and I think he's kind of, he's playing a little bit of a, a little bit of chess in the same way Juju is. I'm not as optimistic about Will Fuller because he's never played in a 16-game season. Staying healthy has been a problem for Fuller throughout his career. When he's been on the field, he's been good. He's been a weapon. He's not a number one guy, but he's a very good number two. But he needs to stay healthy. He needs to take care of that body because it's just breaking down. For a young guy, I hope this works out for the Miami Dolphins because they certainly need wide receivers for Tua in order for Tua to succeed. Pro days, Ed. Everybody is setting these world records. Everybody is running these these fast 40 times. But I wanted to mention a couple of cornerbacks that really separated themselves. Your number one cornerback, Alabama corner, Patrick Sartain II, checked in at 6'2", 208 pounds. He ran the 40-yard dash at 4'4'2". 442 to 446. The broad jump was 10 feet 11 inches. Vertical jump was 39 inches. He also did 18 reps on the bench press. So the son of a three-time Pro Bowl cornerback, Patrick Sertain, maybe even more impressive physically than his father, and he certainly proved that at Alabama's Pro Day. So I'm sure nothing changes, right? He's still your number one guy. He definitely is. Um, you know, there is another guy that I think I know who you're going to mention who who actually probably moved up my, dra- my draft ranking boards after his pro day. This is what happens, you know, when people doubt J.C. Horn, who in my world is the number one corner on the board. And um, when we had the discussion on about cornerbacks, there was a debate about Sartain and, and J.C. Horn. And yeah, Horn ran the 40-yard the dash. If you believe some watches, it's between a 4.37-4.39, according to NFL.com. He impressed with his vertical jump, 41 and a half inches. A broad jump was 11 feet and one inch, and he did 19 reps on the bench press. And this is considering that he's 6'1", 205 pounds, and I love this. His length, his arm length, is 33 inches. So he showed everyone that he's much faster than everyone assumed he was. And I thought he was a low 4-5 guy. I thought maybe if he trained well, he would get to the high 4-4s. Well, you know what? J.C. Horn even surprised me, Ed. Yeah, I mean, that was the guy I had in mind. I mean, I, I think he's... I think he's put himself in that first-round category at this point. I mean, some people are talking about him late first round. I, I actually think that's an appropriate grade for him right now. I actually think he's going to go somewhere in the middle of the first round because Caleb Farley is uh, getting surgery as we speak. Another guy that was rated highly by a lot of people, but not by me and not by you. 
I don't question that Sertain is going to go and is going to be the first corner off the board. And he might go to like the Dallas Cowboys at 10. I think that would be an, an appropriate spot for him. But I think J.C. Horn at 16 to the Arizona Cardinals would be an excellent selection for them. They play a lot of man coverage. They they would put him in impress man coverage. They just lost Patrick Peterson to the Minnesota Vikings. They don't have a number one corner. They need to get a guy that they could develop. So J.C. Horn would, would look good in the Arizona Cardinals uh, uniform. But there's another wide receiver who you're going to talk to later on today. You're going to interview him. That also had quite an impressive. Yeah, program. Rondell Moore. I mean, the guy. The guy is only like five seven. I mean, and he has like a forty two inch vertical. Um, you know, he he's he's actually really up there. He he did twenty plus bench reps. I mean, as a wide receiver who's five seven. Um, you know, he's also not really heavy. Uh, you know, he's definitely under two hundred pounds, and he did over twenty bench press reps. This guy is kind of impressive. Yeah, and uh, I guess the most impressive thing is we knew he was fast, but he ran a 4-2-9. A 4-2-9 during his pro day. So he put some of those things to, to rest. I'm not even sure who I would compare Rondale Moore to. So during the interview, why don't you ask him that question? Who does he compare himself to as far as his game in the NFL? Because in my lifetime, I don't remember a wide receiver, 5 7 180 doing some some big things in the NFL level with great speed and athleticism. It's interesting. I mean, he's going to be a weapon. Obviously, you're going to use him on those jet sweeps. You're going to use him in the slot. You might even line him up in the backfield as kind of an another weapon, kind of a, a running back uh, going out for those patterns. So Rondale Moore is kind of an interesting chess piece for a smart NFL team that would be able to to use him to, to the best of his ability. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. We promise we'll be better next week. Take care, everyone.